are listening to the Tech Policy Podcast. Welcome along. With a new Democrat-controlled FCC on the horizon, it seems like only a matter of time before everyone starts fighting about net neutrality again. Lucky us. These days, however, the net neutrality debate is happening at the state level as well. In 2018, shortly after the Federal Communications Commission repealed the short-lived net neutrality rules that existed at the federal level, California responded by passing a net neutrality law of its own. Proceeding through their trade groups, various broadband providers challenged the California law in court. Earlier this year, a federal trial court rejected their argument that the California law is preempted by federal law and the FCC's 2018 order. The case is now in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. Tech Freedom has filed a brief in that appeal. I, your humble host, Corbin Barthold, Internet Policy Counsel at Tech Freedom, have put my name on that brief. So is James Dunstan, Tech Freedom's General Counsel, who joins me today to discuss the past, present, and future of net neutrality. Jim, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Garvin, and, and welcome to uh, the closest thing to World War I trench warfare, which is net neutrality. Yes, I've, I've finally been sucked into it. I, uh, I avoided it for so long, and yet here I am. So net neutrality, Jim, it's been a hotly contested issue in recent years, as you're alluding to. Uh, but you might say there's been a bit of a lull recently. So maybe you could reorient our listeners with a brief history, um, a sort of Star Wars opening scroll, if you will, of how we got where we are today. And uh, most importantly, you know, what is net neutrality? And also what is not net neutrality? Yeah, and I'll try to do it as sort of the, you know, the, everything scrolls away from me, you know, a la Star, Star Wars. Perfect. But let, I'll take those in reverse order. You know, what, what isn't net neutrality? And what the listeners have to understand is that the term net neutrality has been hijacked. Uh, it really doesn't have any meaning anymore. Um, the original concept of net neutrality is that providers of internet service shouldn't block con you know, legal content. They shouldn't throttle, which means they shouldn't, shouldn't slow down content they don't like. And a few others, very, very core principles. And the thing about it is, is when you hear People say, oh, the FCC has taken away net neutrality. Well, that, that's wrong. I mean, these basic concepts have been, been agreed upon now for almost you know, a decade and a half at least. Um, so what we really are arguing about when we talk about net neutrality is really a more philosophical approach to how you regulate the Internet. Do you regulate the Internet as a common carrier type of service, you know, what's known as Title II um, regulation, or do you regulate it with more a hands-off approach as an information service, a la Title I of the Communications Act? So it's Title II versus Title I, a heavyweight bout, uh, and here we come at it again. Uh, the brief history is um, the internet, traditionally the FCC concluded was an information service. It wasn't a communications service, meaning it had aspects of communications in that data was popping around all over the internet, but it also had fundamentally at its core, this idea that you're, you're taking data and you're manipulating data, you're changing data as it goes around the internet. And therefore it's really not this just sort of point to point service. And so it was an information service. And that's the way 
the internet was regulated by the FCC for you know a decade, decade and a half. Long came the Wheeler FCC in 2015, following on on a couple of uh, very high-profile cases of uh, Comcast uh, slowing down the traffic of BitTorrent um, and a few other, you know, allegedly egregious violations. Um, and the Wheeler FCC said, you know what? We really think that the internet now looks more like AT&T and long distance telephone service. And we're gonna start regulating as such. And so in 2015, we got what was known as the open internet order, which applied the full panoply of Title II onto the internet, except the FCC said, well, we're gonna forbear from applying 73 different sets of regulations. Um, so we're, we could regulate, but we're not. And so they said, it's, this is sort of an in-between a light touch and a full regulatory standard. And that stood for not that very long, um, you know, until 2000, late 2017 or 2018, changeover uh, back to a Republican led FCC under President Trump and Chairman G. Pai said, we think this heavy handed approach is wrong. And so it adopted what became known as RIFO, the Restoring Internet Freedom Order um, in, in, in 2018. We're gonna go back to the approach that had been taken for a decade and a half. We're gonna treat the internet as an information service and we're gonna get rid of all these um, heavy-handed regulations. And by the way, Title II regulations, if you take a look at it and you take the book of regulation, you set them on your side, it's about two and a half inches of regulations. I mean, you know, Title II regulation is a really burdensome set of regulations. Um, and and this, the last FCC said, no, we think that's too much. We're going to go back to the last approach. And as you said, a lot of people ran around chickens with their head cut off saying the sky is falling. We're going to lose net neutrality. We're going to we're going to return to the days of of blocking and throttling, and and the whole internet as we know it is going to die. And people literally said that the internet is going to be destroyed in a matter of minutes. And so, as you said, California came in and said, "Hey, we're going to adopt this, uh, you know, this state order, which is going to pretty much try and mirror the 2015 order, because in their mind." by passing the 2018 RIFO, the FCC had left the field. They had basically abandoned the field and therefore left this vacuum and the states could then walk in. And that's where we get with this. And we turn to you um, as our chief appellate litigator to defend um, the, the, the last FCC uh, and our amicus brief. So I'll turn it back over to you, let you yeah, to let you explain what we did and why we did it. Fantastic. So we get the 2018 repeal of net neutrality at the federal level. And as you mentioned, California goes, oh, well, in that case, uh, don't mind if we do. And they pass a law also in 2018. Um, and if you dig into sort of the legislative history, it's, it's explicitly meant to recreate the net neutrality rules. And the, uh, it gets challenged in court and the trial judge has gone against the broadband providers, as I mentioned at the outset, and they've appealed. Well, what are they arguing on appeal? Let's start with the actual merits. Um, parties. 
Well, they raise an argument uh, called federal preemption. For those of you who are not lawyers, it's actually pretty straightforward. Our constitution has a supremacy clause. Uh, the federal law governs over the states because if all the states could do whatever they want and overrule federal law, obviously we would have uh, chaos. It would look a bit more like the Articles of Confederation that the Constitution replaced. So they raise federal preemption, and most of their brief focuses specifically on what's called conflict preemption, which is a very simple principle that state law can't stand as an obstacle to the accomplishment of the full purposes and objectives of Congress. That's actually kind of the technical language in, in the case law. And their argument is pretty straightforward. They say, well, number one, if the FCC says that internet is a Title I information service, uh, you can't go in and contradict that because if it's an information service under the Communications Act, you're in effect trying to violate the Communications Act when you treat internet as common carriage. Their second argument specifically attaches to the 2018 order in which the FCC says we are going to apply a light touch regulatory regime to internet. Uh, and you, California, your law is obviously trying to replicate the burdensome common carriage net neutrality rules. So you violate the 2018 order directly. You violate the, the, the actual law and you violate the order implementing it. Those are pretty straightforward arguments. We, Tech Freedom, uh, as amici often come in to do in such cases, come in and go, that's great. We agree with those arguments. But really, you can go a step further. And what we say is, look, if you read this California law, it's actually quite short. The substantive restrictions in it are, I think, less than 500 words. There are these very open-ended terms. And what that really means is, even if the federal government were to re-implement net neutrality, and even if other states pass laws that were identical in their wording to the California law, you would still get the exact kind of chaos that the supremacy clause and federal preemption are there to prevent because those words are so open-ended that courts are inevitably, courts and regulatory bodies and state attorneys general, are inevitably going to interpret those terms in different and even contradictory ways. And we give some examples in our brief, um, starting with the very definition of broadband internet access service. Uh, that generally has been treated to mean mass market retail internet service, the kind that you as a home customer buy that, you know, it accesses all or almost all internet endpoints. Well, there's been a movement afoot and Jim, maybe you can get into our regulatory comments about this, you know, that go into this in detail. Uh, interest groups are saying that, well, public safety should be an exception. And so say uh, emergency personnel should get special treatment under um, common carriage rules. Well, that doesn't make any sense because they actually get negotiated enterprise contracts that are not traditionally considered to be broadband internet access service. And once you sort of let that camel's nose under the tent, really it's quite open-ended because there's no concrete connection between public safety and broadband internet. So different courts would interpret that in different ways. The interest groups have creative arguments. Okay, well, uh, emergency personnel, when they talk to each other, 
that data should be given special treatment or, or maybe it's like home alarm services or data to and from the electrical grid. Uh, once you start down that path, you're gonna get different states defining the public safety exception for such a thing to be created in different ways. Another example is uh, the California law has a lot of exceptions for reasonable network management. It says, well, okay, you can't block or degrade or disfavor content, except to the extent that doing so is reasonable. And it doesn't take a lawyer to understand that different people's perceptions of what is reasonable are different. So you put that term out, even if all 50 states had it in their laws, different courts are going to interpret what's reasonable in different ways. And there's gonna be no way to decide between them. Uh, ISPs are going to be stuck not knowing what to do. Uh, you know, a good example is extreme data use. At what point do you finally get to sort of slow someone's data if they're in effect running a, a full-fledged business out of their house? Yeah, so I want to just you know stop you there and 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 put this in a little bit more context, and that is the fact that you know the internet by definition it's a a packet switched architecture. Okay, you know the fathers of the internet, and that's not Al Gore by the way, you know, it's Bob Kahn and and Vint Cerf, you know, created the system where we don't even know where our data goes when it leaves our computer or our smartphone and heads out on the internet, you know, and goes out. We, I can't tell you right now on this call that we're on between, you're in California, I'm in Virginia, I can't tell you how many states these packets are going through. You know, the internet by its definition is completely interstate uh, in, in nature because we don't even know where those packets are going. And frankly, the providers of internet service and even the providers of the backhaul, long haul systems can't tell you at any given point where the data is going and when it's crossing lines. And, and one of the real problems I have with California or any other state trying to step in here is the fact that we never even know when we set foot in California. Um, if, if I'm, you know, obviously I'm setting foot in California because you're sitting there. So I know at some point, you know, the data in our conversation right now has to go there. But if you were in Idaho on vacation and I was sitting in Virginia, I still couldn't tell you whether or not some of the data went, went through California on its way to Idaho. And so trying to say that you can, and, and I, I love the way you put it in both the brief and, and our press releases, is you can't slice and dice the internet and serve it up on a state-by-state -state basis. It just can't happen. It's inherently interstate in, in the way that it was constructed and in the way that it operates. Yeah, it's not a cake. And uh, one thing that is really cool if you use the internet to look this up is, is um, you know, there are some visualistic depictions on the internet of, of the actual network, sort of actually like artists do this where they show, and you really see how much it's an emergent phenomenon, the internet. And it's actually so much more complex than any individual can understand. And um, the packet switched architecture, it, it, for listeners who aren't familiar with this, it, it's very literal. It, data goes around in packets and it can actually zip around where your information goes to four different places before recollecting to get you your signal. It, it, it's meant to have redundancy so that there are fewer errors and you get your data more smoothly. But um, the notion that you, yeah, as, as you put it, which I, 
think is a very important point. You can only ever tell where it's been sort of by reverse tracking it. Well, to give a final example of, of terms that are, are vague and, and really you get, there's almost this effort to central plan on something that's emergent and, and just beyond anybody's mind complex. And this is a perfect example of creating a rule that just sounds so simple and easy and is so complex in application. The California law says uh, you virtually never can zero rate. Zero rating, I mean, there are, we won't get into the nitpicky of the definition, but basically you cannot, zero rating is banned. And zero rating is the exclusion of certain content from an ISP customer's basic data allowance. So think of, say, a streaming service where there might be a deal between an ISP and an edge provider that when you watch videos on that streaming service, it doesn't count against your data allowance. Uh, this one is actually in the news quite recently because the day that the California law, it's through Bill SB 822, uh, took effect, the, veterans, the Department of Veterans Affairs warn that it will probably have to shut down a video conferencing app that uh, veterans can use to do health appointments over the internet, sort of Zoom style, with doctors. And that was zero rated, and the ISPs and the VA were both very worried that under this law, they won't be able to zero rate those medical appointments anymore. And some commentators, you know, opponents of, of uh the restoring internet freedom order and proponents of net neutrality have said, oh, well, that's hogwash. You know, of course that app can be used. Well, why? Well, they say, because look at this law. It says you can zero rate as long as you do it consistently across a category of content. And then you just trip it, you know, it basically proves the point because the law doesn't define category. Uh, what is a category of data? Is it, uh, all veterans health apps? Is it all health apps? Even worse, is it all health conversations? You know, are ISPs supposed to be snooping on making sure are Jim and I talking about my health or not? Um, that is something that's going to be well, decided. Well, before we started this conversation, you actually were talking about your I health, was. So I it's true. This whole conversation falls about that, doesn't it? I was being a hypochondriac to Jim before we started the video. And do, do I get uh, free data for those three minutes? I mean, obviously not, but what if he was my doctor? Um, so th these things are going, if this law were allowed to take effect, it's not just California. The effect is going to be cumulative. You're going to get intense second order consequences as different states impose these rules. And again, for the non-lawyers, a, a crucial point is that when the federal government imposes a vague standard, it gets hashed out in a single hierarchical federal court that ultimately the U.S. Supreme Court can give a single definition. And maybe it's not the best one, but it's, it's one that everybody applies. Whereas state courts, when they apply state law, uh, your state Supreme Court is the highest court in the land and its word goes. So different states can reach different definitions and there's no one to decide between them. So that's a core aspect of our of Well, our brief. Well, Corbin, let, let, let me ask you this because this case is in federal court, right? Um, you know, it, it, was brought at the, it was brought at the federal district court level and now we're up at the, at the Ninth Circuit. Um, so why isn't this just the same thing? Yeah, that's a great question. And again, we revert to the supremacy clause. So the providers are bringing what is, uh, you hear the term federal preemption, but it is ultimately a constitutional challenge. It is saying that you're violating the supremacy clause. 
And if they lose on this, if the Ninth Circuit affirms, they'll actually have another constitutional arrow in their quiver. They're going to say it violates the Commerce Clause through something called the Dormant Commerce Clause, which maybe we'll save for another episode. But let's say that fails as well. Well, eventually you exhaust all your constitutional arguments and you're just left to argue about whether the state law is being applied to you correctly. And once that's what you're left with, now you're stuck with state law and state courts. And actually, even if you go to federal court, the, state, the federal court is not going to uh, disagree with the state courts. They're going to say, well, what did the state courts say? Because that's what we want to apply. And if we really wanted to geek out, we right. could get but into they're, Erie They're still Tompkins. applying state law in that case. You're right. Exactly. Because as Oliver Wendell Holmes said, uh, the common law is not a brooding omnipresence in the sky. And by that, he meant that federal judges cannot uh, use some kind of natural law analysis to decide what state law should say. They have to look to the state courts and see what the state courts say. Uh, so, yes, we will end up with lots of different definitions if this is left in the state courts. I, this is good. We're turning into real law, law geek time. I enjoy it. Yeah. Well, well, Corbin, what about those who argue, hey, you know, California was first. They got in here with their state net neutrality law. Why don't we just let California sort of rule the roost here? Well, it is true that in certain areas of law, California has has led the way in exactly the way that you describe. Uh, but I don't think that's what would happen here. What you're actually going to get if states regulate each on their own is uh, what you might call a race to the top. As we've discussed, you can't slice and dice the Internet like a cake. So the service providers, if they're given demands that are in tension with each other, are likely to just set the national standard to the extent they can with whatever is most rigorous, whatever the highest standard is. And unfortunately, as you point out with your beloved mudflap case, uh, which maybe you can tell us about, if there's a flat out contradiction, you know, the ISPs may just be out of luck. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I pushed us to, to, to include kind of a, a quick analysis of of Navajo trucking lines, one of my favorite cases. And that involved um, conflicting state laws about mud flaps on 18-wheeler on trucks. And one state had a, a law that said that you had to have flat mud flaps. And another state came in and said, no, we've done some studies and we think that a curved mud flap uh, reduces the amount of, of debris that's kicked up on the, on the roads. Uh, and that's fine. You know, states can have different conclusions. But the problem is for an interstate trucker, you get to the border of a state that, that wants you to have flat mud flaps and you've got curved mud flaps. What do you do? You pull off on the side of the road, you know, and get your wrench out and, and, and change your mud flaps. Um, and, and so I, I think that creates a nice visual for us because obviously the absurdity of, of the idea that we can at, stop these packets of data at a state line and say, okay, well, now we're under this state's net neutrality. So I've got to change the, the data packets uh, from straight to curved to, to meet the new new law. It's You just can't do that when you're talking about information that's flowing at the speed of light. Yeah, at least theoretically, the truckers could get out and take off the mud flaps. Uh, here, I, I just really don't understand how you do that. You'd actually have to have service providers adjusting the architecture of the internet at really fundamental levels to make it work. 
Well, Jim, that's a lot about the state level. Um, do you have any prognostications? Would you like to look into your crystal ball about where this is all headed at the federal level now? Yeah, so I mean, where we sit right now is is we have a real oddball situation right now, and that's the FCC is currently split at two two with with two Democratic commissioners and two Republican commissioners, um, and as such, there's there there's no majority, and it's supposed to be um, you know two three three two who was whoever has the White House has the three, um, but just because of the way things have sort of come down with this crazy election we've been through, um, there's there's an open seat at the FCC. Um, and and frankly, the Republicans are dragging their heels as long as they can to, to keep another Democrat from from becoming uh, an FCC commissioner, um, and I, which I think is really bad policy. And, and I don't care which side of the political fence you're on. Um, you know, the rules say 3-2, it should be 3-2, and, and, and trying to throw up uh, roadblocks for that. I would be making the exact same argument if there were a Republican in the White House right now and we were sitting at 2-2. But for now, nothing can happen. But as soon as we do get that third Democrat onto the FCC, you're guaranteed we're going back into a new rulemaking um, on net neutrality with a look towards uh, um, something that looks kind of like the 2015 order. But here's the problem, and that is people who want the Title II regulation fully recognize that the pendulum will swing back the other way, that we're in this game of ping pong that goes back and forth every time, you know, the, the White House changes, we're going to get net neutrality changes. And so what they've come up with, alluding back to what you talked about earlier about public safety, is this sort of new argument that says that because the Internet play such an important part for public safety operations that we've got to specially protect them. And the only way we can specially protect them is by applying the Title II regulations. So what they're trying to do is really ratchet up the game by saying there's a section 151 of the Communications Act that requires that the FCC take into account the needs of public safety when it makes its changes any changes to policy. And that's fine and that's good. The problem is there's a court decision, the Mozilla court decision, which upheld the 2018 order, but did remand it back to the FCC on this public safety issue. And it said, um, you've got to better explain how your changes in 2018 don't harm public safety. And it cited section 151, and it cited this one case called Nuvio. Um, and so the Title II folks have seized upon that and said, aha, this is our way that we can change the game. We can ratchet this up so that it never goes back to full Title I is by arguing that public safety is so now ingrained in the Internet that we have to have Title II in order to make sure that public safety is protected. And that's the next battleground that we'll be facing at the FCC will be arguing, no, in fact, there are two different systems. We have the emergency communication system and we have the internet and the two aren't the same. 
So you talked about that in detail in the Mozilla remand in Tech Freedom's comments. It certainly, I learned a lot about it from you. Uh, you've given a nice little summary of what you talked about with public safety. Uh, as we wrap up here, maybe you could tell us more. I mean, I'm a real newcomer in Tech Freedom. This is my first uh, net neutrality project with us, but uh, Tech Freedom has really been in this debate uh, pretty much from the beginning and done a lot of great work in it. Why don't you tell us a bit about that uh, on our way out? Yeah, I mean, we have, we, we've involved um, in, in every aspect and at every level, uh, both the comments, the FCC and as amici in the court cases, we were the ones that led the charge back in 2015. After the 2015 Title II order came out, we, in our amicus brief uh, to the DC circuit then said, well, you know, at some point, this is such an important question um, that, in fact, you know, the FCC shouldn't even be deciding this. Um, this is such a fundamental question that only Congress can answer this. And so we raised that in, in our brief. And actually, then um, Judge Kavanaugh you know, wrote a, a concurrence uh, uh, and, uh, to that order. And he said, you know, there's something here that we really ought to consider. And that is, you know, did Congress really give the FCC such carte blanche um, in its sort of umbrella powers to reach such an important part of the economy called the internet? I mean, wouldn't Congress, if it really wanted this level of regulation on the internet, have, have properly and explicitly delegated this to the FCC? That, no doubt, is going to be an argument that's going to come out of the next order coming out of this Democratic FCC. And be assured that we'll be making that, that argument again that says, and it's consistent, by the way, with our arguments we've made after every single FCC order, be it from a Democratic FCC or, or a Republican FCC. And that is the only solution to this in the long term is, is clear congressional statutory guidance on what areas of the internet the FCC should and shouldn't regulate. And that's the only way we get to that. And I'm sure we'll be arguing that again in, a, in another year, year and a half on the next appeal that goes up. Well, as you know, Jim, I like to discuss in, in deeper, more philosophical conversations about American governance, uh, the concept that we have become a kludgeocracy. That is not an idea that's unique to me at all. I don't take, take credit for it, but it's the idea, you know, kludge is a patch in a computer system and you accumulate these patches when there's no real overall design, nobody really thinking pragmatically and creating system-wide solutions. You end up with just this just uh, incoherent system. And tech freedom, I think really is correct that this is just going to continue to be a battle until there is a single coherent federal law that we get through Congress. And instead of getting that, where you're, you're getting a solution that talks about basic net neutrality principles, like you talked at the outset, we have everything spinning off in the wrong direction. You have people saying, well, we need to create a public safety solution on one end. And then you have people on the other end who are also expanding the debate out saying, oh, well, if we're gonna talk about net neutrality again, let's bring in sort of uh, cloud service providers. Let's look at social media, things that are even further away from the concept of some kind of data choke point. Uh, competitive markets, let's impose you know, net neutrality principles on those. And so instead of having people coalesce around a simple 
sustainable solution. We're actually drifting off in the wrong direction with people constantly trying to bring in new concepts. And what it's doing is it's obstructing the passage of just a simple, pragmatic, solutions-oriented law. And in the vacuum, when you don't have that law, we get the kludgeocracy, which is states coming in, California trying to do its actions, uh, the agency sh trying to uh, grasp at straws and come up with solutions. Um, so I see, you know, it's one of those things, once you sort of have an orienting concept, you see it everywhere. But this really is the kludgeocracy in action, in my mind, unfortunately. So stay tuned, everyone. Well, and, and, and to your point, well, and to your point, on the state level, I mean, you got California, and I was kind of, you know, sort of saying that, well, let's just let California rule the roost here. Well, then you're going to get states, you know, Idaho and some other, you know, maybe some very conservative states that are going to try to pass state level sort of content moderation and things like that under the guise of, of state net neutrality. As you say, so it, it just becomes a giant kludge, a giant you know, set of band-aids, none of which are, are addressing the real underlying injury, which is very narrow and easily solvable. So uh, perhaps the only upside is that this will continue to be an issue and we'll be able to have you on, Jim, again, to talk about it as it evolves. So thank you, Jim, for your time. This has been great. Uh, thank you, Corbin. Great to be back. Jim Dunstan, General Counsel, Tech Freedom. I'm Corbin Barthold, Internet Policy Counsel, Tech Freedom. Thank you all for joining us. Till next time. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.